Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and we're coming to you from the Coming Home Network International. Thank you for joining us. I, I'm uh, hoping that maybe some of you have never joined us before, so we've got some new listeners. Uh, this is connected to the chnetwork.org website, where we have lots of old episodes of Deep in Scripture that you can listen to, uh, and you'll hear more about at the end of the program. But today I'm joined by one of my co-workers, Jim Anderson, uh, who's very much involved in our work, helping particularly uh, non-Catholic clergy who are exploring the Catholic Church and their families. Hello, Jim. Hello, Marcus. How are you today? Oh, I'm 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 great, and it's good to, good to join join you, Jim. Even though we're here, we <laughs> divided by electronics. Uh, you know, Jim, when you and I started this work years ago, we couldn't have done this. Uh, Not at the, all. The Lord is pretty amazing on the uh, uh, equipment that He's given us for. It'll, it'll just mean you and me, but I mean uh, uh, His His extended family, the Church, for proclaiming the gospel and answering questions about the Church. So. Uh, and let me take this time publicly to thank you for the work you do for the Coming Home Network, Jim. Thank you. What we're doing on just had my just had my anniversary. That's right. Yes, That's... yesterday was my seventeenth anniversary with the Coming Home Network. So next to me, you're the uh, the longest uh, member of the Coming Home Network. So yeah, uh, we're both the Silverbacks. That's right. <laughs> Now, what we do in Deep in Scripture is I usually ask guests to join me in a discussion about Scripture and uh, and usually through the lenses of the, our Catholic faith, but also through the lenses of the need to interpret Scripture uh, in the context in which it was intended. And uh, as I've thought about joining with Jim today, a Scripture came to mind Jim and I come from different backgrounds uh, before we uh, were drawn to the Catholic Church. Uh, in, in a quick sentence, in relationship to the Scripture we'll talk in a moment, uh, my basic background was as an evangelical Presbyterian, and I served as a pastor for about 10 years after seminary. And I was of the once saved, always saved and I would also say that I had a mentality that um, I would not have called ecumenical, though I was not judgmental of other Christian faiths, but I w- would have felt a division from others who didn't hold the same understanding of, let's say, justification as I did. I wouldn't condemn them, wouldn't have been that so much, but I would have questioned whether we were on the same team. What about yourself, Jim? I came from a Wesleyan Methodist background, and then in college I was Lutheran, and I was not of the once saved, always saved crowd, and my background was much more ecumenical and open to people of as long as I considered them evangelicals, I was open to them, whether they were Calvinists or um, Arminians, although Calvinists perplexed me. Yeah, and and I 
think as I looked at my faith and looked at Scripture and looked at how I understood salvation through the lenses of my evangelical Presbyterian once saved, always saved mentality, I, it's not so much that I looked at others outside of my particular understanding of the faith as condemned or lost. It's I felt sorry for them, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I felt that they were missing out on uh, the assurance of salvation. Um, but my intent today is not that we talk about these issues per se, but I think they they might help us explain why we took the passages today that we're going to look at. And these are difficult passages. Um, not in I'm looking. We're looking at two passages today, and each passage alone isn't particularly difficult. Except that, first of all, when put together for a long period of time, they've seen as problematic passages together. But also, Jim, as you also affirm, that they've been misused mm-hmm. by, by many people, whether in a religious context or in a political context or in, in many other contexts in our culture. And so let me read, and and Jim, what I'm going to start doing is not read the whole passages, Mm -hmm. but just the phrases that are the key focus of our discussion. And um, so those of you listening, the the, the, we've chosen, the passages have parallel readings in, in the other Gospels, but I've chosen Luke 9 verse 50, and Luke 11, verse 23, because here we have the same gospel, but yet the passages are in the same gospel. And so, in other words, it, they can't be explained away because of uh, one gospel heard, writer heard it different than another gospel writer. This is the same gospel writer who's, who Luke says in the beginning of his gospel, he went out and researched and then brought together all of his sources. So Luke 9, verse 50, the second part of it reads, he that is not against you is for you. Let me read that again. He that is not against you is for you. Luke 11, verse 23, the first part says, he who is not with you is against, excuse me, he who is not with me is against me. Again, he who is not with me is against me. Now, Jim, let me ask you first, before we get into the scripture study, are you aware of these passages being used out there in the real world uh, out of context? Uh, Yes, um, in several different ways. I can see some um, liberal Christians seeing this as an example of how the church redacted scriptures and that they were contradictory and they're trying to shoehorn them into the scriptures. And um, But also, um, I can see um, some um, evangelical, um, especially like Calvinists, who would say, he who is not with me is against me. If if you don't agree with me, you're against me. And uh, yeah, in a political realm, 
Yeah, and also in the political realm. If you're not with me, you're against me. Um, you don't agree with our party, you're enemies. Yeah, and uh, an example I, I read somewhere is in the in the children's movie Beauty and the Beast, when Gascon is trying to get the uh, the crowds together to go up and kill the beast, uh, that's his statement. You know, you're either with me or against me. You know, there's your options. Uh, you either come with me or you're against me. You're either with me or you're on the beast side. I mean, that's taking that passage. Uh, and we've, we could hear that in the political realm leading to wars and battles and divisions oh, yeah. and amongst families uh, and sometimes over minuscule issues. You're either with me on this or you're, you're, you're my enemy. Um, and you've heard that, you know, my... Well, that translates in the religious realm, too. If you're not with me, you're against me. Yeah, the friend of my enemy, uh, you know, the friend of my enemy is my enemy. You right. know, that, you know, the way that's been construed in different ways. Um, or he that is not against you is for you. Uh, it can be used to justify all kinds of things in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which could be hyper ecumenism, um, right. you know, nothing really, you know, if they're not against you on this, I mean, come on, get over it, you know, move on. Uh, it, it could be, don't be so touchy. Yeah. So Jim, if you look back, how would you have dealt with either of these passages, one or the other, or both and? How would you explain their, you know, I remember looking at these when I was younger, and to be honest, I put them on the shelf, and I I just thought it was above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) I did not understand them, and I knew both of them had to be true, but I really could not figure them out back then. You know, in the past, uh, on this program, I've talked about um, you know, clear weather versus uh, cloudy versus stormy versus, you know, um, and the, the clear verses are the ones that just make sense. They don't even need interpretation, at least as far as we're concerned, because of our theology. The cloudy verses, uh, I'm not quite so sure. But once you're given a, 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 a clue, then you can make it fit your theology. Uh, and there's lots of verses like that. But then the stormy verses are just like you said, Jim, we tended to avoid them. Um, And this I avoided. Yeah, like John chapter 6 in the 50s, the verses in the 50s that talk about, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life within you. I didn't preach on that as a Presbyterian pastor. I wasn't sure how to fit that into my my theology. Uh, But, and this one, um, he who is not with me is against me. I know, mea culpa, as I look back, that um there was a time when I did use that um to in a divisive way with non evangelical presbyterians I regret it as I look back on that but I was in the context of others where we all agreed amongst ourselves um and sadly I saw this at my own seminary um, as people were divided in my evangelical seminary, one with another over certain issues, and we were forced Especially to take Especially with sides. Arminianism and Calvinism. That was one of the issues. Uh, I remember having a division with a Methodist. We could not agree over free will um, and how God 
know, when we interpret scripture that God knows every hair on our head, meaning that, you know, that there's this mystery here of, of God's plan and predestination. And the Methodist was the other extreme. And we had such a division that we never spoke for the rest of the time we were in seminary. And I, I regret that to this day, but that was the theology we were in. And we felt justified because of verses like this. Uh, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. I mean, you could see how that could be taken so that we have communities where we have 50 churches in the town and the churches don't speak to one another. Because they, in my then, town, we even have two Lutheran churches that don't speak to each other. <laughs> yeah, my, the, the, one of the first churches I served as an assistant pastor was Second Presbyterian Church <laughs> in a town where one block away was First Presbyterian Church, and they had divided during the uh, Civil War over the issue of slavery, as well as um, if a baby is dies before baptism, whether it will be saved, and they couldn't agree, and they divided. So, I mean, there we are. Um, And then, he that is not against you is for you. I found that, in my past, more troubling on how to interpret. He that is not against you is for you. Um, I wasn't sure how to apply that. What about, would you think back on that one, Jim? Uh, Jesus says, do not forbid him, for he that is not against you is for you. I didn't, strangely enough, I didn't have as much trouble with that one, because um, especially in college, I was in a very ecumenical fellowship, and uh, we had all different sorts of theologies represented, from Presbyterian to Roman Catholic, and just about everything in between, and... I could apply that to our fellowship. Yeah, and and whereas there was a Calvinist fellowship in our at our university, who wouldn't even come to our fellowship because they feared that they may be corrupted by us. That was their term for it. Well, I, it, it reminds me of uh, the old description about Lutherans versus Calvin Calvinists. In that the Lutherans, uh, it's it's a bit of a bit of a caricature, of course. But the Lutheran idea that if the Scripture uh, isn't again it, then right. it's okay. Whereas a Calvinist is if the if the Scripture doesn't say you can do it, then you can't. Right. You know. So again, that's, these- that's why Lutherans had uh, art and organs and Calvinists throughout the arts and the organs in their churches. <laughs> well, Jim, again, before we get into maybe talking about these verses, just from your perspective, what did the fact of these two verses say about the problems of, let's say, sola scriptura? It says that unless you can really dig into it and, and find the context of it, you're going to be in a conundrum, and you're either going to ignore them, or you're going to find some outlandish theory that will settle in at least your conscience what they mean. Or you emphasize one over the other and ignore the other. And, you know, it really does say, for example, um, 
if you're going to apply these verses to whether you're united to another person, to, to decide whether the, the issue that divides you is significant enough to divide you um, or not, the question is, who decides? Right. Is it up to the individual Bible teacher to apply it, the individual pastor, the individual politician, the individual uh, governor? Or is there? do we recognize the authority that Christ gave the church to help understand whether a particular issue or not should divide us? And again, one would say on the one hand that because of love, we shouldn't be divided with anyone, but there are some issues that even Scripture says come out from amongst them, St. Paul says. And to be honest, I don't think Jesus was thinking in political terms when he was speaking about this. And and Jim, that's, that's the good point, is that were these verses intended to be taken out of their context to then be used in political ways and other ways or even in religious ways to divide was that the context so right jim you've done a little background work on this talk about the context that you found historically and how these are to be applied i found this um and a context is uh the exact term for it uh there is an eastern bishop from the 11th century Theophylact, uh, Theophylact, sorry, I got to get it right. Theophylact of Euboea. He lived in the 11th century and he said, these do make sense, but they have to be understood in context. You have to read the other passages around the scripture to understand. You can't just take that each of those phrases in isolation. If you read the the verses around it, it makes sense. Okay, well, let me read the first one, Luke 9, and then you talk about that, if you would, Jim. Luke 9, 49 through 50, and this is Apostle John answers our Lord, Master, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he did not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he that is not against you is for you. And Theophylact saw in this that the person that they're talking about, first the apostles, or the disciples at this point, they weren't apostles yet, uh, were seeing this other person as not being part of their party. They weren't, he wasn't their part of their group. And he saw them doing something, him doing something that only they thought only they should be doing. He shouldn't be part of it because he's not part of our our crew. And Jesus said, no, no, he is speaking in my name. He's doing my work, even though he's not part of your little clique. Don't forbid him. He's not contradicting us. He's not working against us. So therefore, don't contradict him and don't forbid him to act in my name. And then the other passage, Luke 11, let me read that context, beginning with verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household fails. 
or falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And Theophylact saw in this, the context was the people, even passively, were not with him at all. They weren't doing things in his name. Uh, In fact, actually, they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by, by the prince of demons. So they were against him. And so he's saying, you need to make a decision. You, if you're want to be for me, you need to be actively for me. If you're just passively ignoring me, or if you're accusing me of doing something demonic, you are against me. So this is the context of this. As I was looking at it, Jim, thanks for that. And it confirms what what I had noted down to mention on the program. And again, for me, as I put these two passages next to each other in the entire sections, not just the phrases, but the entire sections, what jumped out at me came to another phrase, which I came to understand more deeply through my Catholic uh, faith. And that is the meaning of the phrase, in your name. In your name. Now, we could have a whole program on that, Jim, because our oh, yes. our, our non-Catholic brothers and sisters use that phrase to mean all kinds of things. And it's an understood almost as if the man casting out the demon in your name, almost like the disciples meant like a, a magic word. In other words, if you claim the name of Jesus, then the, right. the demon comes out. And that's all that is necessary. And that's not the understanding of what it means to do something in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ or in the name of God or in the name of the Holy Spirit. The the phrase, and Pope Benedict talks about this in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, the phrase in your name means relationship. That means an intimacy. So it's not just that they're cast, they're just using the name of Jesus. They're doing it in the intimacy with Jesus. There's a deeper understanding. They're doing it uh, not uh, detached from Christ, not divided from Christ, but they're doing it to the best of their knowledge because of their relationship with Christ. Yes. The passage in Luke 9 doesn't say anything about why these people are not f- with the disciples. It just says, there they are, and here's this person who has this relationship of Christ, and through his relationship with Christ is doing something for Christ. And that's that context. In the other context... And and, and also, too, they may not be totally conscious of how much of a relationship they have with Christ, but they do have enough of a relationship with him that they know that he has the authority, that they can't do it on their own. It is only with his authority that they can cast out the demons. Excellent. In the Luke 11 passage, the optimum phrases are divided 
against himself. In other words, this is an issue of division, of choosing, where Christ is saying, if I cast out, if it is by the finger of God, well, there's another phrase, the finger of God. What does he mean? He's not talking about the name of God as if it's a magic word. It's by this intimacy that he has with God, the power that is there in his intimate relationship with God. That's the power by which he is doing this. In the other case, it was the power of the relationship with Christ by which they were doing that. And so you see that. But in the Luke 11 passage, it is about choosing to be against Christ as Mm -hmm. opposed to the first place. They aren't choosing even to, to be against or with. It's doing it in his power. Now, there's a a phrase, as I jump into First John, because we're running out, I'm sorry. Uh, in First John 2.19, it talks about uh, children is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. Then verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. The difference between those other two passages is a choice mm-hmm. that is made to be in union with Christ. You're either choosing to be in union or you're not. And that's the issue here. Um, if you choose not to be, you aren't. You're against Christ. Um, And then we recognize when we look out there in the Christian world, we see people doing things in the name of Christ because they love Christ. Well, then we recognize that's how the church calls us to be ecumenical is because they are choosing to focus on serving Christ through their baptism. And so we are together. But we also recognize there are people out there that are choosing to be against Christ. And we recognize that because of their decision— then that we are not on the same team. We wish they were. Doesn't mean we don't treat them in love because even our Lord said we're to love our enemy. Right. But, but we recognize that uh, by the choices we make is what divides us. And so our job is to, is to reach out in the name of Christ. Well, listen, Jim. Thank you, Jim, for joining us. Uh, I, I know and my goal in this little passage, these are difficult verses, could have taken a lot more, much more time, and maybe, Jim, we could have got a couple scholars to join us. But to point out the need for an authoritative church that gave us the scriptures as a part of the wider tradition, all in the name of Christ. In other words, these were given to us in the power of our Lord, guided by the Lord, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we could know how we work together in service of our Lord. Thank you, Jim. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org.